Hi, you're listening to The Home Hour. This is the show where we talk about family, food, parenting, managing a home, and everything that goes on inside your four walls. I'm your host, Megan Francis, mama five, and creator of The Happiest Home Blog. I'm glad you're here. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 55 of The Home Hour. I'm so glad you're here. If you've been listening lately, you know that there's some changes here and some big developments I'm really excited to talk about a little bit about now. Um, and then I'll get to the interview with Kieran Pittman. So we have just launched, um, Sarah Powers and I, who works with me at the happiest home blog have just been working together with my husband, John, who does my editing and tech support, um, to launch a brand new podcast network that I'm so excited about. It's called life listened. You can find all the shows at lifelistened.com. And right now it's more of a mini network. It's only got four shows. Um, so the home hour is definitely one of them. I've also added three new shows, the mom hour with Sarah powers, the style hour with Shana Dragellis from the mom edit who I've had on, um, talking about fashion and style for a while now. And then the Right at Home Moms with my friend and freelance writer, Jessica Ashley. So if you go to lifelistened.com, you will find all of those shows and show notes and links to find them on iTunes and other places. So I hope you will check it out. It's really exciting. We're going to be putting out about a total of 10 shows a month for now. See how that goes. And I'm hoping to add on as we go along. So one of the things that we're doing here at the Home Hour is kind of changing up the format a little bit. I will still be doing interviews every now and then, but really I'm going to be focusing in on a core group of guest um, guest co-hosts, I suppose, that people have really have really connected with. And so Kieran Pittman is one. Um, Karen Walrand is another. I'm going to have a dad starting soon um, to come on and do regular conversations about fatherhood and just being a dad and life in general with me. And so, and I'm going to be bringing my sister on at some point to talk about TV and books and another fun stuff. So it's going to change a little bit. Um, Every now and then we'll still be doing interviews with experts and authors. Um, But this is just a way to streamline it and give everyone more of what they kind of want anyway, which is conversation um, that I've learned over the last couple of years of doing this. And to make it just a little bit more streamlined and easier for me to keep putting out great shows. And so you get to listen to more great shows. I've been so excited about the response to all of the shows and especially this one and just how excited people are when new podcasts come out. Um, it's kind of a level of excitement I have not uh, experienced about blogging in a while. So it's fun to do something different. So I'm going to launch into my interview today with Kieran. I hope you will check out Life Listened and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Kieran. So nice to talk to you today. Hey, it's awesome to be here. So one of Karen's current, I guess I would say, obsessions is genealogy. And she's written a lot about it on her blog and has worked with Ancestry.com a few times over the last few years. And I have to say it's something I'm also very interested in. And so I thought it would be really fun today for Kieran and I to talk about um, not only researching genealogy online, but some of the additional steps that she's taken to find out more about her family tree and, you know, some of the obstacles that she's run into along the way. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, you know, I, I alluded earlier before we got, got uh, started that I'd been interested in um, genealogy, you know, since my late teens. And back then you had to go to the library or the archives and you had to actually look up on microfilm. Oh, like microfish? Yeah, microfish. And, and there's still a place for that. Like not all the records in all the world have been um, digitized, but a lot of them have. So now it can all happen um, from your couch. That's the good news. And the bad news is it can happen from your couch and you might never sleep again because it really is the mother of all rabbit holes, as you discovered, no doubt. And um, 
it's really ultimate crowdsourcing because the beauty of it and why it's uh, just um, accelerating at such a vast rate is as people um, digitize their family records and make connections, um, you know, becomes a snowball effect because I find someone else's family tree and we've got some overlap. So now I have data that they've put up there and they have data that I've put up there and I've discovered something or, you know, I have the key to, I have a family Bible that has a record in it that they didn't have. So, so everybody, and, and it doesn't take very many generations to be talking about a whole lot of people that you're related to. Um, so everybody starts to, uh, circulate the same information. This is where the, the amateur aspect of it can, is, is great for that reason because everybody can be an archivist now for their family, but it's also a pitfall because not everybody um, is real particular about using citations or you know, verifying um, their findings. And so a lot of erroneous information will get thrown up and it, it gets discovered, it gets repeated and gets passed around like that of telephone, you know? And, um, and so that information starts to look legitimate when actually it hasn't been um, verified thoroughly. So, you know, as a hobbyist, if you don't want to just go crazy like I do and, um, you know, start spending an uh, ungodly amount of time <laughs> tracking these things down, there's just a few things to be aware of. And, and Ancestry is one uh, repository of uh digital genealogy, but there are others. FamilySearch.org is another one I use a lot. Um, and you just, you know, habituate yourself to um, the format, look for those citations, you know, try to click, find, try to find the original record. More and more those actual census documents are available online and usually just with a click. And take the moment to, you know, really read. It's uh, That's the most fun part for me is looking at the actual um you know, image of the document because not everything gets translated into the the database record. Sometimes you can find things um, as you're scanning up and down the actual document, the handwritten um, census, and see that oh, they were living next door to a neighbor with the same last name, and bam, you've opened up another you know part of the family, or, or lots of little things that I've discovered. So you know, it's not for everybody, but if you have anybody in your family like me who's keen on it. I like to think of it as, you know, it's a, it's a legacy gift because now this information can be preserved and shared, you know, even 20 years ago and, and, um, and more recently, you know, families would fight about photographs and, you know, family Bibles and, you know, people would kind of hoard these things and not share them, you know, and now there's just no, there's no reason not to. So, you know, so if one person is willing to kind of, you know, take an interest and, um, and shepherd it along a little bit, that's whatever they get done is there for generations to come for the next person to pick up the ball. So, okay. So obviously you figured out a lot about the, um, sort of how it works and, and how to make the technology work for you, which I think is awesome. I think you're, you're so right that, you know, these are things that no longer need to be hoarded, you know, right. and they're things that we can all share. And sometimes, but it's just like with anything, I mean, stories always get kind of muddled yes, they <laughs> as do. they get passed down. So that's totally going to happen in a more, even in a more, I guess, organized fashion <laughs> um, right. using a site like that. So, but have you discovered anything that you thought was really surprising? Have you actually confirmed um, any family, you know, 
stories or found out that something actually wasn't true that everyone thought was true or anything interesting that you've kind of discovered? Yeah, sure. Well, I can tell a couple of those. I mean, there's been a lot of them. And that's part of the addictive nature is that when you when you find these people, it's just such a rush. I have spent countless nights, you know, up late, late in the night trying to find one ancestor. And when I finally locate them, you know, get to go back that next generation. It's just such a thrill. So, um, so one example of the family kind of, um, legends that get passed around is, um, and you'll hear the way that urban legends kind of can fall into very similar archetypal themes. Mm. Family legends tend to do that. So, you know, everybody's, you know, fourth great grandmother was a Cherokee, right? (laughs) You know, some were, but you know, you, you'll hear the same story being repeated a lot. Um, there's, uh, we, my husband's last name is Houston and it was, you know, there was this kind of vague idea that, um, they were, we were perhaps kin to Sam Houston. Okay. And, uh, I was actually fortunate. I got a little inside track on that because I was able in the course of working a little bit with ancestry.com on a project for my blog. Um, I just kind of threw that out there to one of the genealogists and she, uh, looked into it and he, my husband's line of Houston's came to America well before Sam Houston. So, um, so that wasn't a direct connection. If it is, mm. it's way, way back. And she, she told me another similar story that, um, you know, in, in the South, there's a lot of people who claim to be, uh, who the surname Lee will claim to be oh, yeah. descended from General Lee and, uh, their DNA testing has really blown that wide open because they actually have a verified lead Lee line uh, with the DNA. And so, you know, there's all these people going around and they're yeah. not who they think they are. <laughs> right. So, but yeah, so, so myth gets into it and that's also part of the story. Like that's even when I find, um, things that I can't back up or things that are clearly, you know, embellished at best, um, I think it is part of the family story. It's part of, it says something. I mean, if you think, you know, if you if you would hold it down, pass it on along as a point of interest that you're um, related to General Houston, I think right. that says something about the family. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, to get back to um, just kind of big discoveries, one that came on my side was um, my great-grandmother was adopted. And I always knew she was adopted. And because of that, I had not really ever pursued her genealogy because I just thought it would be too hard. You know, there weren't a lot of records back in those days about adoption. And um, when I did my DNA test, uh, the most recent one, uh, which is uh, called an autosomal test, and we can get into that a little later if you want to, but basically it tests more uh, your more recent genetic heritage. Mm. When I got results back, I was really surprised to see in my DNA matches, my genetic cousins, um, her adopted last name. It kept coming up. Oh, okay. So I was like, wait a minute, those were her adopted parents, so how can that be? Well, it gave me a clue that she had been adopted within her biological family. And so that really, suddenly, there was, you know, a narrow pool of people that I could start digging around to see, well, you know, who was of childbearing age in the family, who was living around there, who died, you know, and that I'm still haven't, I haven't been able to sort of say, aha, this is it, but I'm really close. I've got it narrowed down to about two or three women. So, um, so that kind of thing was just, that blew open a whole, uh, lineage for me that, and for my mom and for everyone who, who's descended from her, um, that we didn't know, didn't know about. And what was really surprising about that, she was born in Maine, I'm an immigrant from Canada, came here almost 20 years ago now, 
And, uh, and I thought I was the first person in my family to emigrate to America. And, um, turns out that through her, through her lineage, um, she goes back to you know, the time of the Mayflower in this yeah. country. So that's pretty neat. Wow. Yeah. So that is really cool. And it brings up two, two interesting, I guess, little roadblocks that I have run into. Um, that maybe you've probably also (laughs) run into. One is, you know, I think that we maybe underestimate how many people were being raised by parents who were not their biological parents, whether it was a a father who stepped in, you know, for a a dead, you know, father, or maybe there was an illegitimate pregnancy. So there's so much history. There were a lot of them. And I think people just didn't, they weren't as open about it then. Right. It would never have wound up in any kind of family history. It was sort of like if you took on someone else's child as your own, that was it. End of right. story. It wasn't something. So, I mean, it doesn't really, it doesn't negate what you find because, of course, there's still family. But it does make that particular, you know, finding the actual biological link, I think, a little challenging. Right. And then one that I'm running into is that I have my maternal grandmother, or I'm sorry, my paternal grandmother um, was... She came over from Ireland with her parents, I want to say, or if not, maybe they came over right before she was born. So, you know, turn of the century kind of thing. And their last name was Boyle, and they lived in Boston, and she had 10 siblings. So, (laughs) I mean, I don't even know what to do with that. Ancestors for using the same five names, basically. Oh, yeah. And they were all Mary, you know, Margaret. Yeah, Mary Margaret. She, yeah. She was actually Veronica, which is very helpful. There aren't that many Veronicas. Thank you very much to my. Great grandparents. But but I it's like kind of a dead end because once I get back to a certain distance, I've actually found photographs of where the place they lived in Boston, which was surprisingly small for a you know family of 10 kids. And then it looks like later she and her husband owned that place. And I don't know if they moved in. You know, they're the ones who become the, the homeowners on the census at a certain point, which I thought was kind of cool. But I can't go. I mean, unless I go to Ireland and I'm like, hey, are there any boils? I mean... <laughs> Right. <laughs> I feel like I've just hit a dead end. So has this happened yeah. to you? Do you have a really common? Yes. Certain, okay. Yeah. So, and I find most of my paper trails do end at the Atlantic. Um, yeah. And there's a couple of issues there. There are more and more world records. In fact, there's a lot of world records on, um, on ancestry, um, international records, but it's, you know, going through the census or birth or baptism records of, you know, in the old country, um, it's almost like speaking another language. I mean, it just takes, um, uh, it's a different context. It's different kind of record keeping. I've gotten really good at like looking through the U S census because I know exactly what's on every line. You know, Mm -hmm. I can, I can read that table. And when I go to, um, you know, a book of parish baptism records, for example, a tiny village in England in the 1600s, it's, you know, it, it gets a lot more um, archaic and a lot more foreign to me. So I haven't really, I would say that's like, you know, digital genealogy 202 is when you start to mm-hmm. be able to really delve into what the resources are across the pond. Um, and not just across the pond, like there'd be other issues for people who are Asian or looking back to Africa or looking, you know, all over the world. Um, those records are more and more available, but being able to um, find what you're looking for sometimes takes a different kind of expertise. Right. So, so I've, I, that's one area, you know, where I mine, I relate to that. My, trail also kind of tails off there also it's just as you get back further in time you know it gets the records are not either not kept or didn't survive right. mm-hmm. my um 
father's family is very elusive. And, you know, it could have been that they were poor and not literate. It could have been that they started over in the new world and didn't want to take their histories with them, you know, quite possible. Um, You know, or just time, you know, churches burned down. They were isolated places they lived in. Um, They had a wonderful oral history, but, you know, that's kind of a broken tradition in many ways. So it's kind of nice that we're able to sort of, um, I, I like to think of we're picking up some of that thread mm. in a new in a new way with the digital stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of issues that can be frustrating, and um, I think ultimately you have to make your peace with the fact that you're never going to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There is no bottom, so you know you just embrace the little tidbits, and uh, and you know they lead to they lead to something or they stall out for a while. There's more information getting available all the time. So I can come to a dead end and go back six months, a year later and bam, you know, there's been a breakthrough because somebody uploaded a grave, you know, a photograph of a grave that has dates on it. Wow. Uh, Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's an unfolding resource. It's, it's expanding that way all the time. People, um, two common, um, questions I get or, you know, when I talk about this to people, there's two particular angles of interest I find that come up a lot. One is people who are adopted mm-hmm. and they're really interested in, you know, just natural curiosity. They may not, in fact, most don't want to reconnect with their birth parents, but they're curious about the, you know, their uh, genetic heritage, their mm-hmm. roots. And mm-hmm. um, so I've, a number of people have asked me, you know, if it might be something for them to which I say, you know, if you are looking to connect with your birth family, it's probably there's probably better ways you right. know, to do to to start that. But if you're just curious about your heritage, um, you know, ethnic, genetic, and otherwise, um, yeah, it's great. You're gonna you're gonna find chances are genetic cousins and matches that will mm-hmm. you know give you some pretty good clues about at least what part of the country you came from or you know those kinds of things. There's gonna be probably you know, you might not get the questions answered within a generation. And as I say, if you're looking to answer those questions, there's a different process for that. But you can still find a lot of um, stuff that's pertinent and interesting. The other uh, angle is of, um, of people with um, African-American heritage. Mm. And because, unfortunately, the, there is a big block in terms of the paper record. People were not given last names. Um right you know, they were treated as property. They weren't even enumerated by name. And it's pretty shocking. You know, I, I will never get used to, and I hope I never get used to, um, coming across, you know, one of those documents where there's an inventory of people. So that can be frustrating for someone who's trying to um, pursue their ancestry along any of those lines. That's where the um, the genetic testing comes in and can really, you know, open up new avenues. Even if it's something, you know, there are lines in my family. I'm never going to know who the who they were, ever. You know, they've yeah. been lost to history, and unfortunately, I find it's quite often along maternal lines. Yeah, you know, because they yeah. drop last names, and they're just you know that they um, become part of the the patriarchy. Um, but yeah, you make your peace that you're not going to ultimately know. But then you know these these little things, these little revelations are very meaningful. So even if I can say like look at my pie chart that came back from my genetic test and there's a, you know, there's a little slice of it that's Mediterranean. I've got yeah. nothing in my paper record that backs that up, but I love it. It's fascinating. You know, it's part of me and it's part of my kids now. Yeah. That's so, you know, it's so interesting because I think 
I think there's all kinds of reasons why people are interested in this. And for me, it's all of them. (laughs) So, you know, it's the, what is the story of my family, the family that I, you know, by name belong to, um, traceable as that may be easier on my dad's side than my mom's definitely. Um, and then, or, I mean, I guess at some point I can go back to my mom's, but I have to always go along the father's line. So yeah, like you said, losing that, but also, you know, there is sort of that, I, I feel very, um, I am very much just sort of like a Northern European mutt. I mean, I've got, I wasn't even really sure, except for I had my grandmother on my dad's side who was pretty much all Irish. So I knew I had that. Right. But other, otherwise it was like, I don't know, British, I guess probably some other, some Scandinavian in there, you know, I just didn't really know. And so, especially when you identify as American and always have, or I guess in your case, Canadian, um, you you start to feel like, what is, what else is there? I mean, is my, is the hamburger, my, (laughs) you know, (laughs) my meal, is it like, is what, what is my, what is my heritage and like, how does that relate to the food and the music and the culture and stuff? So, um, one thing I thought was interesting is I I have an unnamed family member. I won't say who it is, but somebody on my mom's side had their, the family rumor for a long time was that the person who raised her as her father was not really her father, (laughs) that it was some other guy entirely. (laughs) I know (gasps) what? So it was, it was part of it, but it was like never really talked about. I think my mom told me this at one point and then she died when I, you know, when, like 15 right. years ago. And so I remember kind of thinking, did I just dream that or something? So I brought it up and got nowhere with any relatives. Like right. no one would talk about it. Right. And I had a genetic test done a few years ago. This was before it got as in-depth as it is now. This was with a company called 23andMe. Um, right. I don't know if you're familiar, but they were but they were really more doing it for health reasons. Uh-huh. So you could get, you know, you could get some of your ancestry information, but it just wasn't real developed. But it does match you with people who could be relatives and almost all of them were Finnish and I have no Finns anywhere. I mean, (laughs) nobody is claiming Finn, you know? Right. (laughs) So, and it was like everybody. And so it was so, it was so validating for one thing because it was like, I didn't just dream that it was really true. Um, And, but it's now it's like, well, what do I do with it? Maybe I don't need to do anything with it, but it's even a bigger part of my actual genetic makeup than the Irish, which I always thought, was much more of who I am. So it's just so interesting. I never really would have thought, you know, finish, but there you go. I'm about a quarter. It's tantalizing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think it's tantalizing because it's, there's a narrative there, even if we don't have all the pieces of it, you know, it's, it's, Oh, you know, it, it it prompts this whole story to start in your mind. Like there was, maybe there was a love affair. Maybe there, who was this itinerant Finn? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 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 Yeah. And, and, and where are all those people now? I don't like you. I'm very satisfied with my family. I don't need to have a relationship with them, but gosh, it would be cool if I could find one other one who was interested right. in working with me to connect the dots. Well, I have found some genetic cousins who are not close kin at all that uh, we have become friends through this uh, pursuit. And, um, you know, cause we're both, you know, working on our lines from different angles and have met up somewhere in the middle and I've had some lovely correspondence back and forth with people. I've gotten quite, it's funny how I will get like really attached to some of these um, dead people. <laughs> this is the yeah. joke in the family. I see dead people. Right? <laughs> and, uh, and my, there's one woman in particular, uh, Martha. Martha is my great grandmother. She was a civil war. And um, it was her, she and her husband who came from Texas to Arkansas. For some reason, I am just so 
into Martha. And, you know, what everything I find about her is I'm just is such a triumph. And I've I've just recently discovered where her grave is. I need to go make a visit there and put a flower on it. But, you know, I have this story in my head about Martha and and every little piece of it helps me further that story along. I was really lucky. One extraordinary thing that happened to me was uh one Saturday I popped into our state archives here. Just to see, I wanted to look at the widow's pension application. And I guess this speaks to the place still of these, um, you know, the, the old timey uh, repositories. Because right. I sat down at a microfish reader to see uh, a copy of her Civil War widow's pension application, which I had seen all the information for online. You know, it had been transcribed and I'd seen the actual, you know, dates and data and that kind of stuff. But I was really stuck trying to find out something about her origins and I thought well maybe there's something you know on the application that didn't get carried over because that happens I sat down in front of this microfish and pulled up that application and you know it was standard kind of form for the times where she was asking for the uh, for this money and then as I started to scroll through suddenly I started to see these full-length pages of handwriting which were obviously not part of the form and um I just thought, what am I looking at? And as I zoomed in, I saw Dear Martha. Well, she had included uh, half a dozen letters from her husband during the Civil War in this application. So I actually got to, you know, hear them talk to each other. It was was so amazing. It was such a gift. Even the archivists were floored because they said that normally that kind of thing is not in the in the. in the, in the application stuff, but they have the originals down there at the archives. So I photocopied them all and brought them home. We had such fun reading them. And it's funny, you know, they're writing in the middle of the civil war and you would think that that would be very dramatic and it's not, it's just so, you know, tedious and they right. bickering at some point, you know, oh and it's goodness. all one-sided. You just hear from him and he, he's actually my husband's you know, namesake. Um, so, you know, he's writing her and going, you can tell she's getting anxious. And he's like, well, do you know, what do you want me to do, Martha? You want me to just walk out? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, just like a married couple, it really yeah. brought that life for me. So, well, you know what I, I love about that? And I think this is one of the reasons and, and, I think maybe I got frustrated and stopped for a while and maybe I was kind of going about it, not backward, but putting the cart before the horse a little bit is I think that I was so eager to fill in all the blanks Mm -hmm. that I was missing the going deeper and maybe it would be more satisfying or rewarding to just find one person and really dig in on that one person. That's what I do. It's, uh, I mean, it's really a spider web, you know, the way everything's kind of, sprawls with yeah. this kind of things. And, it, and you alluded to that earlier, you know, as being a problem. Um, so yeah, I will just kind of get on the, you know, on the bloodhound hunt for on along one line and just mm-hmm. pursue that till I'm like just tired. <laughs> right. And, and my whole, you know, my, my rhythm with this is I will go on binges and because I'll find a, you know, something that opens up a line and I'll chase it till there's just nothing left. Yeah. And, uh, and then I just kind of get you know, I just get exhausted. You know, I, I hit a saturation point and that's where I kind of have to sit back and go, what is this all about really? Right. <laughs> you know, what has right. this got to do with my life now? And the people who I actually live with are, you know, need some supper probably. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'll back away then for even several months at a time before I pick it up again and, you know, and then it's fresh again. So for me, it's, it's not, uh, you know, I got to get this all now, you know, right. and, and I guess having it in the cloud is is wonderfully freeing because mm-hmm. it's not you know there's it takes some of the urgency out of it 
you know, it's up there. I'm moving the story along a little further and, uh, you know, somebody else will come along and pick it up. You know, it's there for my kids. I'm able to share discoveries with them as we, uh, as, as, as they come in and it's neat. It's kind of become our thing. That's really fun. So we'd mentioned, we both touched a little bit on genetic testing, but I want you especially to delve more into that because did you do this as part of your ancestry membership through them? Yeah, okay. I've had a bit of a working relationship with them, which has been really nice. And I start, they actually kind of got the ball rolling or the ball got rolling with this um, when I went up on a blogger junket, um, gosh, several years ago okay. to visit their headquarters. And I had a complimentary um, genetic test done at that time that was just on the paternal line. So it might have been similar to the, the test you had. You know, it was back when they were kind of you had to choose, you know, you're going to do the matriarchal line or the paternal line. So we did that, and uh, and that was interesting. You know, there was neat stuff that came up. But then, and more recently, they've developed these autosomal tests that test you for your heritage along both lines, and that will hook you up with more. They're really, you know, they go back to within five to eight generations is where they have the most accurate information. Okay. So it's a lot more recent history. So there's a lot more potential to corroborate with um, the paper trail. So I had that that done. And the two pieces of information you get back from that kind of test are, one, you get your sort of ethnic pie chart, which is mm -hmm. an estimate, right? And right. The, the science is being refined all the time. And your results will continue to be refined all the time. Like, I'll go back and check and see if things have shifted around or what they've discovered, you know, every few months or so. So, uh, yeah, I got the pie chart back, and it was fairly, you know, I'm 43% Irish, you know, and a third English, no, no big surprises, a slice of Scandinavian, that's my Danish heritage. Um, but then there was this you know, tantalizing slice of Mediterranean. I thought, great, that's cool. Um, but for me, the more, the more in, um, rewarding part has been where it, um, helps me, um, unpack my family tree. So when I go to my results page, in addition to, you know, that kind of more static ethnic information, I have a continually updated list of people who are being identified in the database as genetic matches with me okay. because people are, people are uploading their own information all the time. More people are getting tested. And I've had some big breakthroughs with that. I actually discovered a long lost cousin. I've, um, you know, been able to, my husband has also had the same test now and his, his family tree, because he's been, in, they've been in America so long, um, is frankly a lot more easy <laughs> to trace yeah. than mine. And, um, so he's got tons. If you open up his results page, he's got tons of matches, people he's genetically related to. And, uh, and some of those I've had really great um, collaborations with that we've both been able to push things back a few generations. So this sounds a little different from what the one that I did. Um, it did test the whole genome. Like, so I have access to my entire genome yeah. somewhere, but it's just raw data. Right. And then they chose what uh, results to hone in on. And because right. the service was much more... Uh, geared toward people who are really interested in their health results and, right. you know, sort of their health background. So it's been cool because, like, it'll match me up with people who are my, you know, probably my fifth cousins or my fourth cousins. Mm -hmm. Every now and then a third cousin will come through. Mm -hmm. But the specific information I've gotten hasn't it, – and it's not – people aren't there for that. Like, they're not right. there to find their ancestors and plug in numbers on the family tree, generally speaking. So it's kind of like, cool – now yeah. what? So you need the two pieces, really. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's great for that. It's great for if people want to talk about their chronic health condition with other people in their family who have that same chronic health condition. But <laughs> I was like, I just want to know, you know, some stories about my family. So I'm kind of feeling like I need to either, I don't know if I can take that information to Ancestry and plug it in somehow or maybe have it done through Ancestry's system. 
Right. You can upload raw data to across, and there, and we're just talking about some of the big ones, but there are other. Um, I've actually done some testing through um, family DNA. Okay. And that's a real pretty hardcore site. Like okay. if you're really on the hunt for something along one family line and you want to get really detailed matches and all of that, um, and that's where I've taken my the mystery of my father's line. Um, there's they do um, searches along one surname. So there's a Pittman group, and okay. that the purpose yeah. of that group is to collect DNA of people in the in the in America who are or in North America who are uh, have the Pittman surname and see if we can you know trace group those together and see which lines of Pittmans are related to who and you know see if we can account for all the lines of Pittmans who came from the you know England to to here. So that involves a whole other layer of testing. And that again is, you know, going down the road a little more. I have had, you know, I talk up the ancestry.com test a lot because, because it's easy and, um, and I, and I'm familiar with it, but also because it ties into the, their, um, the database of people who are doing the paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And so it just, I think it has the more potential to yield, um, information. Well, and that just, that just reminded me of the story that I had about, um, gosh, when I first joined Ancestry, this was years ago. And I do, I am lucky enough that on my dad's side, somebody in the seventies put together this really pretty comprehensive family tree that mm-hmm. went back a couple of centuries. So that was really exciting. And I had this, I had somehow ended up with a copy that had been my mom's and got passed around and I ended up with it. So um, I had connected with this person who probably was related to me in some way, and we were trying to connect the dots. And then I didn't answer his emails for a couple of days, and he got on my case and was like, <laughs> if you don't take this seriously, then I'm not going to bother with you. And I was like, whoa, 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 dude, you know, I've got babies at home and like a job, and I can't just sit at my com- – he was retired, and I was like, I can't just sit at my computer all day doing this. I mean, I have a life to live. And it kind of scared me. And I, I don't even think he was through Ancestry. I think like I followed some rabbit trail – and mm-hmm. found him. So mm-hmm. I know I kind of want the place where the casual people are, <laughs> you know, yeah. where it's made very easy for you. Cause I don't have, you know, it's too much pressure, man. I can't do that. So yeah, yeah, some people can be hardcore about it. I haven't encountered that. I have encountered people where I've just, you know, thought, um, yeah, you, those, that long lost cousin can stay lost. It doesn't <laughs> seem like anybody I want to connect with. <laughs> That's funny. But, uh, I've had some lively commentary as I've, gone along some of the southern ancestors and some of that legacy so um yeah so you know just pick and choose pick and choose uh, and i think it's just dip a toe in dip a toe in you know it's like it doesn't have to be a full body immersion right off the bat (laughs) and i mean you can only take it's fascinating it's wonderful and it is it is important but you know, ultimately, like I say, you come down to what is this really about? You know, you can never get to the bottom of it. You're never going to know conclusively who, you know, ancestor ground zero was. And, um, and even if you did, what would you do with that? And, right. uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's an interesting pastime, but it's, it's just that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, there was something else I was going to say about that. Well, it'll come to me. There, there's so many different aspects to it. Yeah. Okay. So you talked about going to the archives and, um, first of all, I, I mean, I know for us, there's a awesome historical library in Michigan. It's in Lansing. So it's a couple hours from here, but I used to live closer to it and I went there several times and that was, that was really cool. I don't remember if you could look 
at national records or if you could only really see Michigan-based records there. That's one thing. I don't really remember how that worked. So if if your local one is more local, then how do you get access to more national records? So FamilySearch.org is a fantastic place for a person okay. just getting started who doesn't want to pay a subscription. And um, that one thing about families, they have a lot of information that's free and available online. What they don't offer as much as, say, Ancestry does for the, the premium service, ser- service is that you might get the data off the census on FamilySearch.org, but you can't look at the actual mm. photocopy or scan document. They, they have that at Ancestry.com, um, and that's really what you're paying for. At Ancestry.com, you're paying for access to other people's shared family trees. You're paying for access right. to you know those scanned um, digitally archived documents that they go all around the world buying up. Um, which is a, you know, an exciting story in and of itself. But, um, so familysearch.org is a good starting point. And another reason they have a lot of how to resources on that site, you know, getting started and yeah, what are some of these other resources that are available? Um, you know, what's, um, available online and, and there's, I mean, it's vast as you, as vast as the internet itself. I mean, Google sometimes we'll have breakthroughs. My, my go-tos besides Ancestry are FamilySearch.org and FindAGrave.com. FindAGrave.com. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. And, and it's, again, it's crowdsourcing. So yeah. it's people just going out and taking photos of tombstones and posting them on the site along with whatever, you know, information they have on that person. It's fantastic. I get so many things that I can't get on those other sites about birth dates and, you know, family stories even. Uh, so that's a favorite. And I'll send you all these links. So okay. Yeah. Thanks. Throw them up for people. But locally, yeah, you've got archives. Um, you've got your public library. Our public library gives you free access to all the paid stuff on Ancestry.com. Um, there's a thing called a library license. So if I want to, you know, leave my house and go down to the library and sit at one of their computers, I have all, all that access for free. Um, another one is fold3.com, and that's a, uh, veterans. It's a military site. So that's been really interesting because, if, you know, you're researching anybody, you know, anybody male. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Around long enough, there was probably a war, you know, that they were in. Um, yeah, so those are, uh, those are kind of the big, big ones. Um, but it's certainly worth, you know, everything hasn't been digitized. There's a, I've, I need to make a visit to the, uh, there's a little like county historical society, not far from here where I, I need to make a visit soon because I've got a feeling that I'll find some more about old Martha up there. (laughs) (laughs) And it's fun. It's fun to, you know, to dig around in that stuff and actually, you know, holding those letters in my hand, even under the, under the plastic protective film was it was incredible, you know, see that handwriting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so cool. And, you know, I think sometimes it also depends on how easy it is while well, you just, you know, mentioned about Martha. Um, I think it can also depend a lot on how how notable your family was in whatever era you're looking yeah. at. And if they were big shots in the community, there's probably just a lot more likely that there's going to be some stuff out there on them, you know, right. and in, in whatever way, if they were leaders or politicians or, you know the one doctor in town or whatever. It just, just seems landowners. more likely. I mean, landowners, really, yeah. That was really a, was something we kind of take for granted. Now we just assume it's the you know, American dream. All, yeah. you know, all middle-class people are sort of entitled to their little 
you know, lot. And, um, you know, landowning was, was a pretty big deal not very long yeah. ago. So yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So those people were, you know, were, were economically privileged. They, mm-hmm. they weren't necessarily wealthy, but right. they had a piece of land and that gave them a certain status. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it is, you know, and those more obscure branches are the ones that are just completely lost to history often do say a lot about, you know, where those people were in society, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and if they were in, indi- you know, illiterate, if they were, um, you know, indentured or enslaved or, you know, just disenfranchised in any other way, you know, then, then yeah, that they were not legitimized by the historic record. Yeah. There's a fantastic, one of my favorite, favorite resources of all is a show called um, Finding Your Roots. It's on PBS, and when it's running, you can watch the current season online. Oh, okay. Henry Louis Gates Jr. is the host and producer of it, and they will spotlight prominent Americans and take them on this journey. They'll build them their family tree using both the genetic and, um, and documentary record, and it's just it's fascinating. They, they really deliberately go for a lot of diversity mm-hmm. and um, people who have very, you know, different backgrounds. And they, you know, obviously have a lot of resources um, at their disposal to do <laughs> to cover a lot of ground mm-hmm. in a short time. But it's really, really neat to see that story unfold for somebody. And it's really, I, I guess it's not just, you know, the story of one family, the story of one person. But for me, um, it's the story of us, like it's the story of humanity, of you know, mm-hmm. moving around, trying to survive, trying to have a better life for our kids, falling in and out of love, being in you know bad situations. You know, just when I look at my children, you know, they are the latest in a line of people who got this far right. and worked very hard from the time they were crawling out of the ocean to to see that next generation forward. So I think when I go backward in time, it's a way of honoring that, that like, wow, we made it this far. Good yeah. way to go, ancestors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. You. Oh, I love looking at it that way. And, you know, um, while we were talking about about notable people, um, something that just reminded me that I used Ancestry for and forgot all about, but I had a membership. Um, I just got a trial. Every now and then I'll get a trial, you know, right. and then let it run out because I right. do the binging too. But I... I had kind of hit some dead ends um, looking for my actual family, and I ended up looking. I went into the newspaper archives for our little town, so it helps that we're living in a pretty small town. Yeah, and I right. and I searched for my address. Of course, I've I know I've lived in this, in this house for three years, so I have no particular connection to this house. Mm-hmm. But I found so many articles about this house, and I thought oh, that yeah. for someone who also loves old things, and I love old homes, that was really cool. And it was really cool to find out. Um, it's not even that old. This house, I think, is only maybe about 60 or 70 years old. But there were a lot of articles around the middle of the century because this, for whatever reason, and it's not, I don't live in a mansion or anything, but for whatever reason, the young couple who bought this house or had it built um, ran a lot of, they had a lot of uh, organizations that they were in some way part of. So I think she and with the junior league or whatever, the women's organization in town, they had the meetings here. And so it would end up in all the society kind of papers. And it was so funny because I don't know that I'll ever run into any of my family (laughs) in the society papers (laughs) anywhere, you know? So it was kind of cool to see my house in them, even though, you know, I have no idea who the people are or where they've gone. Because you're dragging it down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. People are like, ugh, I don't even want to go to her house now for tea and cookies yeah, but so it's great i mean you can't do this and not get to know like some history about right. your 
community, about the country, about the, you know, the people you came, not just, you know, your personal people, but like, you know, you'll find out about the Irish, you'll find out about, you know, for me, it's been very much tied into being an immigrant myself and coming to my adopted country. I've learned so much about, you know, the wars that were fought here, the, the land that was developed here, the patterns of settlement and the pioneers and the, you know, recent immigration and all of those things. I've, it's been a really fun way to learn U.S. history. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, I, I think I mentioned this at the beginning, but maybe not. Um, Karen's going to be coming on the show a lot more regularly now to talk about all things tradition and heritage, which we're both very excited about because we both... Yay share a certain love for old things and history. Um, And one thing I wanted to ask you today before we wrap up is if you had, you know, a period of time that Mm -hmm. you were, you were forced to become an expert in only that period of time, like you, you know, you were writing your thesis for becoming Mm -hmm. a historian or something, what would you choose? Oh, I know that's a tough one. Can I right? major in one and minor in the other? Yes, you can major in one and minor in another. That's fine. I, it kind of depends on where my headspace. I'm really into the medieval times, like okay. really kind of flaky about that. Not to the point of like reenacting it. No, no, we won't yeah. go there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that period, you know, before the Enlightenment, you know, that kind of in between ancient and modern times really fascinates me, the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. But I think if I had to choose really one, I would love to see this new world before our European ancestors got here. I would, oh, or just at the time. I'm reading a book right now about the American Revolution, and no spoilers. Um, <laughs> coming up to speed on that. Um, <laughs> Should the, I tell you who won? No, no, no. no. <laughs> okay. I hear it ends badly. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's that to think of these giant cities now, um, you know that were once just little colonies and that would have been amazing to see, I think. And when nature, you know, God, our people did so much to this land, um, in the name of furthering the next generation manifest yeah. destiny and all that. And it would have been beautiful to, if, if I could go back in a time capsule, I would, well, I would like to see it just that, before. That reminds me of that series of novels. And now I can't remember the gentleman's name who wrote them. Um, but they're all, they just have a one word name. Like Chicago was one, I think. New York yeah, was one. Uh, Serum and Paris. Oh, it's, uh, he's great. Edward Rutherford. Yes. Okay. So I read London and yes. I read New York. And one of the things I thought was so fascinating and really challenged me as a writer. And so I'm curious to hear if, you know, you're working on a book right now. I don't know when it's set, um, but uh-huh. if, in future projects or whatever. I was blown away by the amount of detail he was able to learn about the way things looked. I mean, Me too. I, I was really amazed. And I know yeah. some of it must be kind of a, a guess, you know, it's like. I think it has to be. I'm thinking the same thing as I'm reading this book, 1776, about yeah. the revolution. I'm like, I think you're painting in some of this detail. Because- yes. But, you know, part of me is like, can you do that? Like, I feel like it's not okay. And I mean, I, I totally enjoyed it. So obviously you can. But there was a particular scene in New York where he's talking about the way the bend of the river, or maybe there was a fork in the river where two, mm. you know, the two rivers merged and what the banks would have looked like. And and I'm thinking, this is so cool. I feel like I'm there, but I also feel like you're just making this up. <laughs> so, right. Well, I don't know. Who knows? A poetic, a little literary license. Exactly. Um, but exactly. I think it's interesting that to get on another tangent. So the book I'm writing now is a novel and it's set, it's set um, in contemporary times, but the backstory happens in um, the, the early 20th century um, in the Midwest. And and I haven't spent a lot of time in the Midwest. And, you know, so 
I'm relying on Google a lot and a lot of archive photos and things. And, um, and I think it's part of the alchemy of writing is that as I travel there in my mind, in my imagination, I do feel like I have a little authority. I yeah. do, I'm seeing it, you know. Yeah. I'm lucky to have all that research help, right. but it's coming alive for me, you know. Well, maybe a part of it is just being able to let go a little bit of the perfectionism and, and feeling like you have to know something that maybe not anyone can know who's alive. Exactly. You know? And I always say, you know, just because it's not factual doesn't make it not true. And right. You know, that's really the basis of all storytelling. Yeah. Well, I'll enjoy, look forward to uh, hearing more about that as it progresses and hopefully reading it one day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. hopefully not too too long from not now. Long. I think I've got it going now. Oh, good. Oh, good, yeah. good, good. All right. Well, we have to wrap up for today, Karen, but this has been so fun. Um, I've loved discussing all this stuff with you and we'll, we'll continue. I've got what I think my assignment is going to be before the next time we talk about genealogy, which might be a ways off, is um, I have... I found this um, ship manifest with my grandmother's name on it with these two people who no one in the family has any idea who they are. So she was traveling when she was like 19. She sailed from Boston to Ireland um, with this older couple. And no one knows why she would have done that or who these people are. So I think I'm going to do a little digging. That sounds very tantalizing. I it think you should is. dig and report back. I will. So I will she was going back. from Boston to Ireland or from yeah. Ireland? And then, you know, then she came back. Um, but she... And they were brave, these people. I mean, I you know, they came across the ocean by themselves in, you know... Rickety and she old... might have just been going to, like, visit. I mean, who does that? Right. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess you had to, right? If you wanted to go to the home country, I mean, you that's how right. you had to do it. Well, you know, I know we're probably going past, you know, the scope of this now, but one of the preconceptions I think, well, two, one is that we think that no one in the past had sex outside of marriage. Right now. Yeah. And you know, you can dig around anybody's family tree. You're gonna get, <laughs> Figure that one out pretty quick. Use the battle illusion pretty quick. And two, we have this idea that people weren't mobile and, um, and they're surprisingly mobile actually. They, yeah. they didn't get around at the speed we do, but they got around. Yeah. That's and, very so. true. That's very true. Yeah. Huh. Well, we'll see what I come up with, won't we? Do. Yeah. Report back. <laughs> and it might be absolutely nothing, but you know, I'm I'm prepared for that possibility. <laughs> so. We can embellish. Exactly. We'll make it sound. We'll just good. make it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Carol. Well, you have a great day, and I'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, always nice to talk to you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Home Hour on the Life Listened Network. If you want to hear more episodes of The Home Hour, go ahead and go to thehomehour.com and you'll find all the episodes there. You can also visit our Lifestyle Podcast Network to find more shows about motherhood, style, work, and more. That's at lifelistened.com. Thanks a lot.